I just want little boys to come out there and little girls and just have fun and see their parents and laugh with them and have them understand. And when they leave today, it's like, bye coach, see you later. Marshfield native Gary Varshow has 40 years of pro ball experience, 15 as a player and 25 as a scout and a coach. Along the way, Varshow has seen almost everything the game has to offer. Matt Infield catches up with Varshow to talk about his playing days, then coaching days, and later as a scout, and now his impact on the youth baseball scene. There's a bunch of different topics I want to hit on with you, but nearly 40 years in pro baseball, and now retired. How's it for you so far, and how are you liking it? You know, it's, baseball's been really good to me. I mean, it's an old Chico Escuela line, but it's been really a fantastic run. Um, it just gets to a point where it's time. It's just time to make sure I can follow, obviously, my son Dalton, uh, spend some time with my girls, became a grandfather, you know, so, and plus my, my little league here, this is something that I haven't been able to do for 20 plus years, to be here every day, teach, talk to the kids, know the kids, enjoy the kids. Yep. And so it's been, it's actually been very good for me so far. So I'm gonna circle back to the here and now a little bit later. I wanna go kind of in chronological order. Although on that note, I will ask, did last year and being home as much as you were with the pandemic, did that make the decision easier? Did that influence it at all? Of course. I mean, not jumping on an airplane, uh, not trying to find a hotel, not scampering for a rent-a-car. Uh, one, thing, one thing I did is sometimes I, I looked back and the guy that I called to thank him the most for this opportunity was Jim Leland. I mean, Jim took care of me for three years. And without Jim Leland, I probably wouldn't have been able to retire because Jim took, took on a everyday a, a role player and had some success with Jim and you know for three years of service time so I was able to max out on my pension and so it gave me an opportunity to do something like this down the road probably at an earlier age than most people so I thank Jim a lot for, for what he gave me and yet and the thing is I managed and, and coached and without his influence and, and that part of it too you know that's where I ended up getting more more time in the game so um, yeah COVID had a lot to do with it because I did enjoy being home and it was okay and it's like I'm okay being away from the game as much as I enjoy the game, and this is really a, a really good balance for me. You said, I read an article where you said that Jim Leland was the most influential person on your professional baseball career. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Well, going through the Cubs system and had a great run. I played for Don Zimmer. Uh, really good players, Hall of Famer player, Hall of Fame players that I played with. Uh, going to Pittsburgh, Never met a guy like Jim Leland before. I mean, and when I say that, it's like caring, cares about you as a person, wants you to have success. Big leagues is tough. I mean, and, and he matched up me so well. And he stayed with me when, during tough times. That's, that's the thing that separates him the most is that when you're going poorly, he's right there in your corner. I can't tell how many times I, I said, you know, you can send me down to AAA anytime I'm stinking right now. And he goes, you're just on this team, just do the best you can. And I appreciated what he did for me and all with the coaching staff. So, and he stayed with me. Even after I was done playing, stayed with me. We called and we talked. And so he's sort of like my second father in this game. I mean, just somebody that I'm very appreciative of and respect and, you know, love that guy too, so much. He's given me great opportunity. Before the Pirates, you mentioned there was the Cubs, fifth round pick in 82. But you didn't get to the big leagues until 88, six years later. How did that grind? set the foundation for everything you did in Pro Bowl? 
Well, it's one thing that I just didn't know anything other than just keep pushing forward. I mean, I just wanted a, I wanted a big league card. I wanted a major league card. The only way I was going to do that is get to the big leagues. And tough times. I mean, there was some three years in double A, um, trying to figure it out. And they weren't giving opportunities at the big league level. 24-man roster, they were, they were giving those, those tickets away. Those are golden tickets, and you really had to earn them. And I finally caught a break, ironically, because the Cubs it used to be the big league team used to play the AAA team. And I'm not on the roster or anything. I'm never, I was never in big league camp. And I had two home runs against the big league team in an exhibition game, and Jim Fry happened to see it, uh, who was the general manager at that time. And, Jim Sumberg got hurt. They already had enough catching, and I got a chance to go up for 15 days. And I said, well, this is it, 15 days. I'm, I'm in, 15 days. I got a couple pinch hits and hung in there, and, and Don Zimmer elected to keep me and release Jim Sumberg when he came off. And uh, very fortunate, took advantage of an opportunity, hung in there for 90 days, and tried to make the club the following year, and did a little bit, got sent back a little bit, back and forth on the shuttle. but. Uh, for three years with the Cubs and winning it in 89, even though I wasn't a major part of it, winning in 89 in Chicago was a, was a great thrill and another different arena when it comes to the playoff times in, in postseason. So, um, yeah, it was a grind, but I was ready for it because when you're playing AAA at that time, you're playing against a lot of good players, and so you're matching up really well and you have an idea of, I do belong, I just, I just need that opportunity. We've heard a lot the last couple of years about the money that probably AAA or below, excuse me, AA and below are making kind of their living conditions and the grind, not just on the field, but to make ends meet. Obviously, 30 years before that, can you give me an idea of what that was like for you? Well, let's see. $7 a day meal money, and you had wow. to tip the clubhouse guy. Um, Got to take care of the clubbies. You bet. You just... I guess money wasn't, even the guys who signed the first round choice, draft choices, they weren't exactly rich. It was a lot of money, but it wasn't like they're signing today for all these multi-million dollars up front and putting, putting on 40-man roster. So you were poor, hungry, and driven. You're just, you're just, and you don't know anything else. And you lived in dives, you lived in, you played in poor ballparks. There was no uh, minor league parks that were just fabulous and fan attraction. You, you didn't have people come, you just, you kind of lived together with a different family of your players, and you kind of just met ends meet. You drank a lot of Diet Coke or Coke in your room with M&Ms, and you try to figure out where you're going to spend your money and your $3 that day, and try to figure out how you're going to survive and eat and peanut butter and jelly on the road, and that's what your clubby served you. So it's like, we didn't know any better. It was okay, because we're playing. And we all wanted one thing, it's to get to the next level and get to the big league. So didn't know anything more, but yeah, today's kids are a little spoiled. Meals of champions, I bet. Who was your favorite team growing up? Well, obviously, I followed the Brewers eventually, yeah. and then obviously when uh, we finally got WGN, obviously we watched Ray Rayner in the morning with yep. all the Cubs and White Sox highlights and followed the Cubs a lot and became a Cubs fan and still followed the Brewers. They were their home you know, with Dorman Thomas and Ben Ogilvie mm -hmm. and Harvey's Wallbangers, you know, Yount, Mollett, it was just great. Uh, the Cubs were just a different because they were televised every day, yep. and you could watch them, and you started watching them more and more, and ironically, you know, the dream was to be drafted and, and get an opportunity but to play with the Cubs. But Brewers are always the hometown team. But, but in a lot of ways, the Cubs were, other than the Brewers, probably the ideal team for you to go to in that, I mean, obviously for Marshfield, it's probably, what, a three-hour drive, give or take. And at that point, they weren't, the Brewers were still in the American League. So right. it wasn't like there was any sort of real rivalry no. like there is today. Correct. There was nothing like that at all, yeah. 
So that chapter of the Pirates, the first one, 91-92, you're playing with Bonds, you're playing with Bobby Badia, you're playing with Andy Van Slyke, Jay Bell, a bunch of really good players, back-to-back -back NLCS trips. See kind of a grin cracking through in your face right now. Some of that experience for me. Best times of my career. I yeah. mean, again, Jim is our leader. Um, feel like I got traded over there from the Cubs. He basically said, well, just be ready to play. You're going to play. I didn't play in a whole lot in Chicago. Be ready to play. I, yeah, right. Well, we played Montreal the first three games, and on the third game, I was in there. Now, I was playing first base, which wasn't my position, but I was in there. Jim played everybody, and Jim tried to find matches, match up with everybody, and I didn't really think much about the Pirates. I mean, I was just, I was with the Cubs all my life, and I got traded. I was kind of disappointed, and Don Zimmer basically said, well, you're going to, you're leaving me, which is one SOB, you're going to another one in Leland, so uh, met Jim, and Totally different atmosphere, totally fun, totally a great bunch of guys. 26 guys pulling at, or at that time, 24 guys pulling at the same end of the rope. Fun. We, you couldn't wait to get to the ballpark. And the thing is, when we had Drabeck, Smiley in a rotation, Bobby Walk, we had it. We didn't have a closure bullpen, but it was like an atmosphere like no other. We were, we were all pulling for one another because of the, the prize at the end was get to the playoffs because they had gone there the year before. And it's like they smelled it, they knew it. They got beat by Cincinnati. And, you know, this is a good team. So being part of a really great team like that, oh, it was a thrill of a lifetime. And then get to the postseason, it was like phenomenal. So speaking of Cincinnati, Reds 93, Pirates one more time, 94, Phillies 95 to close out your major league career. And then by 97, you're the manager of the Timber Rattlers. Was it always in your mind to jump in the coaching immediately after baseball? Or is that something that maybe a guy like Leland had influenced you on? Oh, he talked to me about it all the time. And I asked him questions all the time. That was the one thing about Jim, you could ask him questions. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And a lot of it has to do with not situations, it's about handling people. You know, handling Barry, handling Bobby, handling Andy Van Slyke, you know, things that go on, how he played certain people, how he did his bullpen. It was fascinating to me and how he matched up success. And it was, it was, it was a great experience, great experience. And so, yeah, I was always in my blood to want to stay in the game and, and manage. And, Seattle gave me my first shot and really enjoyed staying at home and be able to commute once in a while and keep my family together. So it was a good first step. So two years there, three years with the Reading Phillies. Before we get to the major league side, that's five years in the minors of you managing. What did you embrace about that's a different kind of grind than the minors as a player, I would imagine, but what did you embrace about it? Reading was the greatest stop for me in the minor leagues because it taught me a lot about you know, with talent, first of all, you're going to get some talented players. And so how, how am I dealing with the talented players? And here's come the first rounders, here they come through, they're close to the big leagues, they really are. My job is to, to get them on the right path, work ethic on, the, on time, on, you know. Um, my first year in Reading was, I was a complete jerk. I was the, the disciplinarian, I was, I was a complete, I, I went to a, to a different level because I was trying to revamped the Reading Phillies because they were in such dire straits. There was no discipline, there was no, so I went to an extreme. Actually what helped me in Reading the most was when my kids and my wife Kay came out because it made me be a person again, not this dictator. And so it was really a, a better, better for me getting to understand well, okay, the relationship between player and manager. There's, there's something special there, but yet there's that respect factor, there's, that, there's that, still that barrier, but yet there's some love and respect things and so, Started really loving my players and, and got, anyway, and the thing is, the Phillies blessed me with some talent. So we were able to go to the postseason, you know, 
two straight years. Yep. And it was, a, it was a great run. And we ended up being a co-champion during 9-11. So it was, it was a great run learning players and learning situations. And because I, I think today's managers, if you don't deal with that situation, you get thrown into it. You really don't understand about people yep. and players and what they're going through, the tough, tough times. How do you handle it? How do you put your arm? See, it's no different than what Leland did with me. So, I mean, I learned a lot through Jim's experience and, and Pittsburgh's experience with him, how he dealt with me and other players. Philly's bench coach from 02 to 06 now is someone who grew up in New York about 20 minutes from Shea Stadium. The first Phillies manager I ever knew was Larry Boa, who obviously you worked under. So before I get to your experience in general, Larry Boa is a character. Do you have a PG-13-ish Larry Boa story that you could share? And then I'm just curious, the overall experience working under him. Larry Boa is one of the most intelligent baseball guys I've, I've ever been around. Unbelievable. Can do all facets. Could manage, could be the bench coach, could be the third base coach. He coached third base as good as anybody I've ever seen. Playing under, or coaching under Bo. Now, I played for Bo as a coach in 95. So, all of a sudden, with now, the Phillies. With the Phillies. Yeah. So now I'm coaching. That's a little different arena because Larry's, Larry's intense. Larry's doesn't know one thing, but just it's all about winning and trying to find the winning formula. So, I was the outfield coach, bench coach. And Larry's into the game, every game he doesn't miss a thing. And so bases are loaded, we're playing the Giants, two outs, JT Snow's up at the plate, and he hits a high fly ball to left field. It's coming down the line, Pat Burrell's playing in left field, and it's raining. So the water, is, the raindrops are coming down. Burrell's kind of a little bit slow-footed, you know, he's not the fastest guy in the world, and I'm going, God, please catch it, please catch it, please catch it. Pat overruns at a tick and the ball drops. I ain't kidding you. The ball barely, it's, oh, we're on turf now, yep. and the ball bounces and hits up. I'm not kidding you. As soon as it passed his glove, and by the time that ball hit the turf, Larry turns around to me and goes, aren't you working with that guy? <laughs> I said, every day, Bo, every day. I'm just intense. It's just an intense atmosphere, and obviously his intensity in my opinion, plays better as a coach because he doesn't have, he's not in charge. He's in charge of base running and he can get, he can get guys to do things. When you're a manager and you have that intensity, it's a little bit more challenging, but learn a lot. Quite the cast of characters in the NLEs managing in those early 2000s. Him, Bobby Cox, Bobby Valentine. Yeah, that's quite the, quite the crew right there. So Bo gets fired the last two days of the 04 season and you become the interim manager for two games. You go one and one. How much did it mean to you to say, even if it was just for two games, that you were a big league manager? That was kind of neat. I mean, I kind of was hoping that would be the next step. Um, never came to fruition, but I mean, being the guy in charge of being the manager, that's kind of like where I was trying to groom myself towards. And it just didn't parlay into an opportunity, which, which I was hoping would happen there, but it didn't. Um, so it's okay, you know what, it was, Charlie came along, Emmanuel came along, and so I was going to be the bench coach there for a little bit. So it was, I was okay with myself. It wasn't like my ego wasn't going to trip over. So a year at the Indians as their minor league outfield base running coordinator in 07. Another trip back to the Pirates, bench coach, 08 to 10, and then transition to pro scouting with the Angels starting in 2012. What was the biggest adjustment going from coaching and sitting in the dugout every day to scouting? Uh, you're not competing you're not competing anymore. You're actually trying to evaluate players. And so not competing and watching, trying to see if this guy's got big league 
potential or what role does he fit in the big leagues? Uh, trying to guess a little bit. Um, Hal Morris was my boss. Hal Morris, one of the smartest baseball guys I've ever been with. And uh, played with him in Cincinnati. He was our boss in, in LA and he took tons of time with me. I mean, the first time I saw a game, I mean, open on the computer, I got to fill out this report. I don't even know where to start. So you're in the Excel file and you go, where do, where do you go? Hal took a long time with me. And I learned how to write, learned how to evaluate <clears throat> with his help from scouting 19-year-olds to 28-year-olds. What, what do you have? What do you got? And, and I was always confident in my ability. I could, I'd rather talk about a player than have to write about right. it. It's easier for us to have dialogue with two baseball guys. But learn, learn how to do the other part of it and really try to learn a lot from Hal and stay there as long as Hal did. So putting it to paper, I mean, talking about it, and you could evaluate a player for days, but putting it on paper was probably the biggest adjustment. So the GM can read it. Right. And then you start putting numbers. What is this guy? And you, is, he a, is he a 50 everyday regular right. player? And you better have reasons why. Right. Or if he's not, reasons why. So that, that was challenging. And you start in your, sit in your room sometimes and you're stuck. What is this guy? Yep. You know, that's that's the whole point of it. What is he? And so that's where you, you kind of go back and forth and going, you got to make a call. So it was really, really fantastic working for Hal under those conditions. 2016, back to the Pirates again as a pro scout again from 2016 until this past year. I mean, when you have two trips as a player to one organization, another as a bench coach, and then another as a scout, obviously there's some sort of connection there. What drew you back to Pittsburgh so many times? Well, I think uh, Kyle Stark, who was the assistant GM, I love the Pirates. I, I like what they were doing. They had a formula that they were going through, and I wasn't campaigning for a job. I just wanted to know what they did, and they did things so much different. And uh, Greg Smith was a pro scouting director who was a great friend of mine, and really, really just a little bit more in-depth stuff. And more, not so much analytical at that time, but understanding how to read analytics and what we're looking for and how to do it. And you know, they're, they're bottom feeders. And um, trying to find out talent where maybe some people don't think there's talent, yep. which I never heard with, when you're in a high profile like LA. Um, so they like spending money out there. They'll spend money, and so this was this was refreshing because this was like trying to find the next Gary Varsho that right. didn't have a chance with somebody and maybe got an needed an opportunity, or maybe this guy could catch for us. You know, there's much better dialogue. So it was a good five years. It was really good, and then you know just. The analytics came along and it was too much of it. So it's like, you know what? Maybe it's just time to go back to youth. <laughs> Leads us back here. Did you like playing or coaching more? And you're still coaching. What do you like more? Oh, ain't nothing better than squaring up a baseball. There's nothing better. And there's nothing better than doing it in the big leagues. You square one up and you hear the roar of the crowd. <laughs> that's pretty neat. Pretty neat. So tell me about Gary Varsho baseball, its origins, and how it's grown over the last 20 years. Do I have that right? Yep. So when I was with the Phillies coaching, I brought my three kids out of central Wisconsin. We went down to Philadelphia, went down to Clearwater, Florida, and we got involved in Little League down there. Met, met a gentleman by the name of Dan Murray. He took us into the Pinellas Little League, and we started playing. And so when we came back up here the first year, it was like, there's nothing to do. So Kay and I decided that it's time to, it's time. It's just time to start something. So when I grew up in this town, we had a Graham Olson uh, started to have this little league here and I started to get involved in it and played all summer long. And this is his, basically his league. This is what I grew up with. It's about 
coming here, enjoying it, learning, playing, uh, you meet new friends, and again, with me being here, teaching all the time, uh, this is the environment that I grew up with. So, and spring seems to be a great time now to do it before all the summer ball hits and everything. So, got a chance to meet a lot of parents, and it's it's been really refreshing. And so, grew up with my kids, and the kids went through it. Kay and I decided, well, let's just stay with it. We decided to stay with it, and so we enjoy it. Now, would I want to go three months with this? I can't do three months, <laughs> but uh, for a six-week program, you know what? It's it's really a lot of fun to come out and see the new, see new families, see new kids, uh, look at some of the skill sets, help kids on, uh, along the way. That to me is the greatest gift. And hopefully, they come here, and they come here with a smile, and they're enjoying it, and they're laughing, and they can't wait to sign up for next year. That's that's the whole goal. And so our numbers are good. So I'm very excited about it. So you moved from Clearwater back up here. When I took the job up here, I moved from Tampa to up here, and that is not a fun transition. No, it's not. Sorry. Not easy. <laughs> from reading the website and obviously talking to you, it doesn't sound like the intention of this is to churn out the next Gary or Dalton Varsho or the next Jordan Zimmerman. If it happens, great. Right. But what is the backbone of the philosophy? This, this backbone of philosophy comes basically from, we're trying to get away from playing games. I mean, we do play games here, but our games, we don't put the scoreboard on. We're in for the instruction, understanding how to play, whether it's rookie ball, kindergarten, first grade, just playing catch. What, what can I, how can I teach? How can I teach parents to teach their children? These are things that we can do. You know, we had a total practice day one day. We had pop-up priority with the, with the older kids. We had fly balls on how to communicate in the outfield. We went through ground balls and, and the bucket drill and how to field funnel, all the Perry Hill things that I think it was taught when Perry was with me as a, as a major league instructor with the Pirates. And so it's about coming here and learning the game and enjoying it. And even if you strike out, even if you, you know, do have a bad, there's always something good to come out of it. So again, when you come back, I want you to be excited to come back and, hey, which team am I on today? Because I don't have set teams. I don't want set teams. I don't even have coaches. I mean, I've got staff that help, but I don't even want coaches in that guy. I want these kids to figure it out, figure out their own lineup, come here and be a little boy, a little girl, and kind of enjoy an atmosphere where I can learn, develop, there's no pressure on me, and we'll play. I mean, we, we can be competitive at times, but it's, it's at the right competitive. Because after we all walk off the field, everybody's a winner. 150 kids, ages 5 to 11? 5 to 12. 5 to 12? Does, which kind of leads me to the direction of youth baseball, and maybe it goes a little bit higher up, well, it definitely goes a little bit higher up than age 12, but the price, exclusive travel ball, training methods that are very far outside the norm, does the direction of that stuff worry you? Absolutely. It worries me a lot because kids are not kids aren't giving an opportunity to go because I'm not on a tournament team that means I don't get a chance to play you know I, I got I got to be with the group and, and it's it's not only Marshfield it's all over right that'd be why I got I got to be with this club and it's like I don't, I don't understand that because but if I'm not with the club how where am I gonna play so this is a little bit different direction and trying to expand on this on this league a little bit hopefully now that I'm home expand a little bit more in the summer last year we had fall ball loved it it was great because of COVID. We didn't have anything in the spring, so we tried to do some fall. I had a great experience, but again, there's so many kids out there. And look, all we're trying to do is, we may not even have a varsity player here, but that's okay. 
he can be part of a team here. He can be part of something. He can have some success and feel good about himself. And I mean, that to me is, is self-esteem. It's, 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 it makes me feel good when you see a little boy that really doesn't know how to hit, can put the ball in play and get on first base and run the bases. It's a win-win. So I get it. There's other, a lot of parents probably don't agree with me, what we're doing. But you know what? At the bottom line is, is that 150 kids ain't lying about what they're trying to enjoy, and they're, and they're here. And the parent involvement. The, we got parents for our rookie ball in 7-8. They're out. They're out on the field helping. Because to me, it's like, I'm not the coach. You, you as a mom or dad, you're the coach. And you know what? You're going to spend time. If I can help you understand something about baseball, whether it's catching the ball, hitting the ball, whatever it is, then you can take it home and you guys can have dialogue with one another. Because if you can have dialogue with one another, I mean, I have a cage at home. I tell people all the time, you know what that cage was used for? Yeah, we increased our skill set, but I learned so much about my children because we were talking all the time. And when they leave, they left for college, they kept calling, they kept talking. That's to me is the greatest thing as you can do as a parent is be involved, you know, and it doesn't have to, you don't have to have the most skilled child. Stay involved, go play catch, go do things with them because that's where you really get to have a greater relationship with your children. And that's all I try to preach to people. I don't give lessons. When I do give a lesson, I give a lesson to the parent. You're the one that's going to coach them. You're the one that's got to take time with them. You're the one that has to understand. I can teach you techniques. Now it's your job to go put some time in with them. What is your level of excitement now that you're home full time and can do this and can put a lot more energy into this? Oh, I'm excited about the future of some of our guys here because I and just youth sports in general. Um, Hopefully somebody hears a message and goes, you know what, maybe it's time to take a step back. And this is a major step back because this is like, I mean, if you look at all the kids that are going to play this next at 6 o'clock, they're going, they're here. And you know what, I don't have a team, but I've, they're all my teammates. And it's like, we're just going to go out and play and we're going to learn today. And I'm hoping that's the message that people understand. You don't need to be part of a club. You don't need to, you don't need to have the special uniform and spend all the money. Just come out and learn how to play and have fun and enjoy it and be part of something special. What are, you kind of hit on before a little bit, could you expound upon future expansion ideas, mind churning, what do you have? Well, we, we don't really have a summer, quote unquote, a summer, a summer league here. I mean, there's other towns that do. That's how I grew up in the summer. I was here playing ball. So it's time possibly to do something summerish for kids that just want to continue to play without the commitment of traveling all over and, and having parents spend money. I mean, I tell parents all the time, especially as they get older, how much money do you want to spend? And where do you want to go? Because there are no scholarships in baseball. There just aren't. I mean, if you really love the game, go play. You can be part of a club at somewhere down the line, but when we're talking about this age, I mean, great, if you want to be part of a club, I'm, I'm, I'm all in, but I'm going to take care of the other ones that don't want to do it, but yet still have a love of the game because the love of the game is the greatest thing in the world. I don't want kids not to love the game. And that's the big, that's the greatest gift I can give back. At this age, especially, their love for the game is as pure as it's ever going to get. At this stage of your life, is this part of your coaching career as pure as it's ever going to get? Good question. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, this is the simple way of caring for other kids, giving back. Um, I can give a, I can give, I can, I can go to an accelerator. It's interesting. High school team was practicing out here, and I stepped in and said, "You got to turn the pivot this way. This is the way you're going to do things." There's, there's different levels I can go to, but I just want little boys to come out there and little girls and just in, 
have fun and see their parents and laugh with them and have them understand. And when they leave today, it's like, bye coach, see you later. It's, it's really a good feeling, it really is. You're a baseball lifer, you're not gonna stop until you drop, are you? No, I'll be in it. I'll be doing something, always, always with baseball. Just gotta convince Kay to make sure that we stay sane. He'll never step away from the game he loves and he's sure we impacting it in a positive way. That's all for this episode. Until next time, take care.